Tired of hearing the same thing over and over again? Frustrated with the social, political, and professional landscape of your community? If so, you're in the right place. We can tackle any issue or conversation if we approach life with the Reasonable Person Standard. And now, Dr. Bob. What's the Reasonable Person Standard, you ask? According to the dictionary, a reasonable person will look at life through the lenses of fair, moderate, not excessive, nor extreme, and typically that of sound judgment. Are you that person? Hey, welcome everybody. This is Dr. Bob. So there are three things that are supposedly frowned upon to talk about at dinner parties. You know which three I'm talking about. Religion, sex, and politics. Now, I can't say that I've always followed those guidelines, but I can see why that's a general rule of thumb when in public settings, or even some private. So today we're breaking that rule and are getting into politics. Yes, I said it. I went there. Perhaps one of the most divisive issues of our current social climate is the political landscape of America. Just a few weeks ago, I got into a very heated discussion with my own mother about politics, as we have very different views on how our country should be led. Now, in all transparency, I lost my cool a little bit, which you should never do with your mother, but I just couldn't come to terms with some of her ideas and positions. Beyond that, I didn't understand why she would believe some of the things she was listening to on the radio and television. She obviously felt the same way about my ideas. While we hugged it out and moved on, most people in our media-driven political world don't have that luxury and likely don't even desire to hug it out with the people they disagree with. We'll address that problem in a bit. Look, folks, at the end of the day, we're all human beings, and for the most part, we must find ways to coexist. That brings us to politics. The reasonable person will not view politics as a zero-sum game. Being affiliated with a political party doesn't mean that someone must win and someone must lose from an ideology standpoint. Winning and losing may matter in terms of an election, but just because the leader of your chosen political party loses or wins an election doesn't mean your values, beliefs, and opinions win or lose. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Why can't we respect each other's rights and ability to think what we want to think, believe what we want to believe, and still treat each other with dignity and respect? In today's politically motivated conversations, we've lost a significant sense of human dignity. I digress. Let's start with the basics. While there are more than two political parties in the U.S. and many more subtypes of political ideologies, today we're going to focus on the polarization of the Republican and Democratic parties. According to the Khan Academy, the Democratic Party is one of two main political parties in the United States. Founded in 1828 by supporters of Andrew Jackson, the Democratic Party is the world's oldest active political party. Although its platform has transformed many times over the years, today the core values of the Democratic Party align with liberal ideology. What is that ideology, you ask? The definition of liberalism has changed over time, but modern-day liberals tend to believe that government should intervene in the economy and provide a broad range of social services to ensure well-being and equality across society. Liberals usually believe that the government should not regulate private sexual or social behaviors. They are said to fall on the left wing of the axis of political beliefs, a conversation that dates from the place where supporters of the revolution sat in an assembly during the French Revolution. Now, the Republican Party is obviously the other main political party in the U.S., Founded in 1854 by anti-slavery activists, the Republican Party's platform has also transformed over the years to address issues of concern to its constituents. 
Today, the core values of the Republican Party align with conservative ideology. Conservatives tend to believe that government should be small, operating mainly at the state or local levels. They favor minimal government interference in the economy and prefer private sector-based solutions to problems. Social conservatives believe that government should uphold traditional morality and therefore should improve or impose restrictions on contraception, abortion, and same-sex marriage and the like. Conservatives are said to fall on the right wing of the axis of political beliefs, once again a convention that dates from the place where conservatives sat in an assembly during the French Revolution. So where is all this going? This is not merely a lesson in basic politics, but rather a way to view politics as a la carte. Instead of having to order the preset stock meal from the menu with no chance for substitutions or changes, let's view politics through the lens of the Burger King model. Have it your way meaning you can customize your burger based on your likes and dislikes. Funny how when you order a Whopper at Burger King without the lettuce and onions, nobody cares and nobody judges. Why can't the same be true for politics? What if someone were a Democrat, but doesn't like two or three things about the policies and ideologies typically associated with the party? What does our society do? Instead of celebrating that this informed citizen and voter actually took the time to consider how their beliefs and ideas married up with that of their associated party, they often get shamed or abused by their in-group. If the average person expected the same experience from their political affiliation as they do their burger orders, I suggest that the political landscape would be much different than it is today. Most reasonable people would struggle to agree with every idea, every policy, every stance, and every methodology within a given political party or even of a specific person. That's human nature, and that's a great thing. One of the worst things we can do as a society is agree with each other 100% of the time. Without healthy conflict and differences of ideas and opinions, we would never grow as a society. No thank you. We used to live in a culture where varying ideas and healthy debate were welcomed, and if you took an opposing position to someone, there was little fear of retribution. My, how things have changed. So according to Dr. Pamela Pareski, a lecturer from the University of Chicago, We have lost touch with a fundamental premise of a functioning democracy. Our ideological opponents are not our enemies. It is not even a matter of tolerating those who disagree. Dissent and disagreement are necessary in order to sharpen our thinking and come to better conclusions. We need each other in order to do the essential work of creating a more perfect union. The good news is that we have more in common than we actually think. To help me strengthen these ideas... I'll refer to some substantial research done by the Pew Research Center for U.S. Politics and Policy. While most feel that the divide between Democrats and Republicans is too strong and that no one from either party could possibly think that the other side has reasonable ideas, this data may actually surprise you. Among Democrats, 34% say the Republican Party has almost no good ideas. Shocking. But... 43% say the Republican Party has a few good ideas, and 21% say the GOP actually has some good or a lot of good ideas. Hmm. Now, views of the Democratic Party's ideas among Republicans are similar. 43% of Republicans say the Democratic Party has almost no good ideas. Big surprise. But 40% say the Democratic Party has a few good ideas, and 16% say the Democratic Party has some or a lot of good ideas. So while it's true that many partisans express their discontent for the other party's ideas in public, the reality is that over half of the respondents from each party feel that the other side brings some good ideas to the table. So why aren't we talking about those things? 
because it's not within the current narrative of our political landscape. Beyond that, there seems to be a distinct fear of repercussions within our communities. I covered the idea of cancel culture a few episodes ago, and this certainly fits into that conversation. Everything seems to be political these days. If someone chooses to fly the American flag in their front yard, or chooses to exercise their Second Amendment rights, the narrative in the media suggests that that person is a Republican. Now, since the de facto leader of the Republican Party is President Trump, the correlation is that they're a Trump supporter as well. They must also be a racist. They must also have some sort of privilege. And or they must only look out for themselves. While all those things could certainly be true, those are all illogical conclusions drawn with no supporting evidence whatsoever. Furthermore, that isn't politics. Those are someone's ideas, beliefs, and values. For the record, there are millions of Democrats who also fly the American flag proudly and legally carry weapons. Does that make them sellouts or not true Democrats? You decide. If you haven't witnessed that many of them out there, consider the repercussions that come along with going against the party publicly. Now, on the flip side, if someone chooses the kneel for the national anthem or believes that college should be free, the narrative in the media suggests that that person's a Democrat. Now, since that label carries with it the perception of socialism, pro-abortion, and being unpatriotic, there's often a ton of kickback from conservatives. Again, all those things could be true, but how do you really know? We just assume. There are many registered Democrats who are pro-life and fly the American flag proudly. I've often asked myself, who is responsible for the political divide in our country? Is it the average citizen in our country, or does it stem more from our elected officials? Looking back to the political divide and social unrest in the 60s and 70s, and comparing it to today's politically divisive culture, former President Bill Clinton said that that era was capped off by the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy. That makes all this look pretty tame. The difference is today, from then, while all that was going on, we passed the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, an Open Housing Act, anti-poverty legislation, and I, even though I disagreed with it, we had bipartisan support for five long years for America's involvement in Vietnam. In other words, the political system and the leaders were far less divided then than the people were. Hmm. Today, I am convinced that the people are, be, are as divided as they are because political interests feed them things designed to maintain that division and that in fact, the people with the money and the power and the influence and the political positions in the country are more divided than the public is. So what I'd, I'd try with these to give people a chance to be free of all that and just focus on what might work. So the reasonable person doesn't have to take sides. It's more reasonable to think that most people can agree and disagree with some ideologies and policies derived from a particular party. It's okay not to pick sides, especially when you really don't agree with all of it. So here's the real kicker. Because of the divisive public disdain for national leaders on both sides, Many people are willing to overlook their own beliefs and values merely because they don't want to be seen as supporting the person on the other side of the fence. If you don't want to know what I'm talking about, just look at your Facebook page. See what happens when you say something that goes against the grain with most of your Facebook friends. Or worse yet, say something that contradicts the political messaging that your Facebook friends subscribe to. Have fun with that. And for the record, I'm not on Facebook. So can someone who supports the BLM movement be a Republican? Sure can. Can someone who thinks the country needs more border protection be a Democrat? Absolutely. Ever wonder why we don't hear too much from those folks? 
it's not only fear of repercussion, but it's the fact that our society feels the need to label one another. Like it or not, labels can become very divisive, can be unwanted, and like with things you buy at the store, you often need a solution to get rid of the label residue. That's not the American dream, and certainly not flattering of the human race. It's surprising how vehemently our country insists on equality, meaning not singling people out, while with the same breath dictate informal justice through the use of labels. I thought we were trying to avoid those. The last thing we need is to have another label placed on us, especially one as potentially superficial as a political one. If you feel it necessary to label yourself politically, the reasonable person will affiliate themselves with a political party where their thoughts and ideas are generally aligned, not as a result of falling to the mob mentality or simply not liking the other party or leaders associated with the other party and or fear of retribution. Reasonable people can think for themselves. In politics, it's not always about taking sides, one label or another. It's about supporting the agenda of the leaders that best align with your ideas and thoughts. And make no mistake, most politicians have an agenda other than merely serving their constituents. But remember, even the greatest political leaders need other people to govern. Laws aren't passed by one person. National budgets aren't balanced by one person. And yes, judges need more than one person to get confirmed to the Supreme Court. Too soon? Varying ideologies are a good thing because it ensures some functionality of checks and balances. Whether you like it or not, we need more of that in our society. So how do we move forward? Dr. Pareski suggests to consume news from sources that don't merely confirm your own views. Insist that your preferred news media platforms provide an intellectually diverse slate of writers and that they fiercely protect them when the mob comes. Resist the temptation to join in the outrage on social media and make sure you have some friends who don't share your views. The reasonable person will take all ideas into consideration, will check the facts, will see how the policies and ideologies fit into their own values and belief systems, take a stance, and not judge others for voicing a dissenting opinion. Imagine if your political party was like that. But remember, at the end of the day, no matter who you talk to, no matter what you talk about, always treat people with dignity and respect. Well, that's our time for the day. Thanks for joining us here at the Reasonable Person Standard. Our music was performed by Kevin McLeod, and this podcast series is produced by Jam Studios. Thank you for joining today's conversation with Dr. Bob. Be sure to check out what he'll tackle next at www.bobhabib.net. And remember, you can tackle any issue or conversation if you approach life with the reasonable person standard.